Hello and welcome to the Permanente Medicine Podcast. I'm Chris Grant, your host and Chief Operating Officer of the Permanente Federation. This is the second part of a special two-part podcast where we talk to three physician leaders about the importance of supporting physicians and their well-being during the pandemic and how we can continue to promote physician wellness in the future. I spoke with Dr. Don Clark, an OBGYN and Chief Wellness Officer for the Southern California Permanente Medical Group. Dr. Ashley Zucker, a psychiatrist for the Southern California Permanente Medical Group and Chief of the Department of Psychiatry for Kaiser Permanente San Bernardino. And Dr. Reggie Mason, a pulmonologist and physician lead for total health and enculturation with the Southeast Permanente Medical Group in Georgia. Here's the rest of our conversation. As part of our gradual return to normalcy, and I and I say those words very cautiously because I'm not sure that post-COVID there'll ever be a, a real return to normalcy. I think there'll be a, a new normal, perhaps. Many people are now making their way back to normal offices. However, many frontline physicians and care teams never left, and they're now balancing resuming the previous responsibilities, the ongoing demands, with the ongoing COVID-19 response. Dr. Mason, what do you see as some of the keys to avoiding physician burnout during this particular time? So, as Dr. Zucker Ashley said, physicians are human too, and uh, you know our training really sets us up to be vigilant and actually to be hyper vigilant. So, again, as has been expressed, I think COVID simply intensified that, and so that hyper vigilance can be just exhausting. I sometimes say, you know, physical really does come first. Physical safety is super important. And so we really did focus on sleep. Sleep is super critical ingredient that sort of takes us in the direction of joy because willpower is truly finite. And if you don't have the energy to take care of the members or yourself, then that's very demoralizing. So I think that was the first thing. Say, let's focus on the physical first. And sleep was a big part of that. A few years ago in the Georgia region, we actually had a sleep challenge. And that helped us with the critical ingredients to good sleep. And I think as a region, that came into the fore and benefited us as a group. And then I talked before about the mindfulness sessions that were a a form of mental prehab. So I think sleep, not trying to overachieve, trying to exit that overachieving mindset. And again, normalizing our vulnerabilities as individuals were very important to help us continue to find joy in work. Great advice. And I love that concept of sleep challenges. We often have step challenges or walking challenges or running challenges, but sleep challenges and just a focus on the importance of that along with the mindfulness sessions is really wonderful. Dr. Zucker, an AMA study conducted prior to the pandemic surveyed more than 15,000 doctors and found that only 6% would be willing to participate in a physician health program. The same study showed that just 10% would confide in their peers and colleagues. Quite remarkable considering these are the folks that care for others. 
What advice do you have for individuals within the medical community or who are themselves hesitant to ask for help? Yeah, so I mean, that's a really difficult question because there is so much hesitancy to seek out help. And, you know, I like to sort of reframe the question and it's not about what do we say to the people that are afraid to seek out help? It's how do we bring the help to those people? How do we make it so that we remove those barriers to asking for help? You know, we don't want to focus on the individual that's struggling and assume that they're going to be able to reach out for help. When you're not in a good place, when you're having a difficult time, it's very difficult to navigate who do I reach out to even if I want to, right? And so I think it's important, again, that all of this work we're doing for physician wellness is really just to show how we can bring the help to the people, whether they're willing or ready to accept it or not. I think it's also really important to recognize that help can mean a lot of different things. So I love Dr. Mason's point about just getting back to the basics, right? So we talk about self-care a lot, and I think that becomes this non-descriptive word. But, you know, when I think of self-care, I think of like, how do we get back to those basic human needs of getting sleep, getting rest? And rest doesn't have to be sleep. <laughs> uh, taking those breaks, you know, making sure that we're fueling our bodies, that we're moving, right? Whether that's exercise or going for a walk or whatever it is, I think those things are just so so critical. And that can be help. I think the other thing is, you know, help doesn't have to be a formal therapy session or. Uh, appointment with a psychiatrist, it can be utilizing some of even the self-help apps that we have available. You know, oftentimes it's hard for people to talk to another person. And so having something that's just on their phone can be great. The other things that I really like to emphasize and point out is that sometimes it can be very challenging to reach out to your peers. So as much as we talk about and emphasize peer support, which we know there's you know, tons of literature to support how important and how efficacious peer support is. Sometimes that can be a challenge. And so I always really like to highlight the variety of resources that exist both within our system, but also outside. You know, so there are things like the National Suicide Hotline, and they are available by phone, by text. You can go to their website. They have a live chat. And that is a national resource. And so that's something if people are a little bit concerned about coming internal or talking to one of their peers that's available to them. And during the pandemic, a group of psychiatrists put together a physician support line, which is also national. So, you know, not related to KP at all, but really recognizing that physicians wanted to talk to other physicians, but maybe not within their own practice. So that's another resource I like to highlight as well. Because again, it can be challenging to get help. It's great advice and simply removing the barriers. And I remember Dr. Ed Ellison in Southern California used to always say, making doing the right thing the easiest thing to do or easy to do. And I think that applies here, making support systems uh, so incredibly easy to access, almost seamless. Building on your really thoughtful comments, I wanna look towards the future here with this question. As we move forward, what do we need to ensure is in place to help physicians, not just right now, but in the weeks, months, and years ahead? Why don't we start, Dr. Mason, with you? Sure. Well, so I'd say that we did a great job of transitioning to virtual care during the pandemic. We've learned a lot of lessons from that. But 
I think that one of the natural consequences of virtual care is that it's isolating. And so I think our physicians really suffered with that because let's be frank, we get energy from being with our patients, being in the same room with our patients, with our colleagues. And so I think we need to work on making virtual care less isolating, maybe having a small team do virtual care from their offices, but then have having them collaborate. And then also getting the patients together, perhaps virtually. We used to have a concept, and Dawn may remember this, called the drop-in group medical appointment. So it was actually a group appointment. And so I think that we can use concepts like doing virtual care in teams and building in some collaboration or doing care collaboratively with groups of patients that will make it less isolating. It's great advice. Thank you. Dr. Clark? Yeah, I mean, in training, I hate to say this because it's it's almost embarrassing, but you know, if you go into a room of physicians and you say these words, if you ask for help, it's a sign of the entire room will say weakness. And that's been ingrained in our culture and the medical community, and it's absolutely wrong. Mm-hmm. We don't treat mental health the same that we treat diabetes or hypertension. I think what we really need to do is to continue these conversations, but really decrease that stigma. I mean, I would love it for people going into medical school and residency to not know that phrase. If you ask for help, it's a sign of weakness. If we could get there, then we've really done a great job. So we have a lot of deprogramming to do around this. We must continue to decrease stigma around mental health. Great advice, Dr. Zucker. Your thoughts? Yeah, so I think what's so important to recognize is that this is just the beginning of the conversation. And so I think the most important thing to have in place is recognizing that this is not over. When I say this is not over, I don't just mean COVID, (laughs) I mean just the conversation about mental health and about having those support systems in place, about bringing the help to people. People are in different stages and they're going to be in different stages for a long, long time to come. And even, you know, years into the future when hopefully COVID is a memory, (laughs) this is still all going to be relevant to have these support systems in place and to recognize the mental health needs of our physicians. All of the guidance and the lessons that, that you each have provided are incredibly, incredibly important. So you're each experts. You are the coaches of the doctors that care for all of us. And I'm curious because the stresses and strains on each of you as the needs or support of all clinicians have increased during this last couple of years on top of what was already one of the most complicated jobs in any profession. I'm curious what you do for your own wellness. And maybe if you could share with our listeners your tips on how you keep yourself balanced. Dr. Clark, why don't we start with you? Yeah, so I really go back to what served me in times of prior stress and specifically during the pandemic and staying connected with my family and friends, you know, through Zoom, of course, uh, really focusing on putting things that are nourishing in my body, exercising, like Dr. Mason said, making sure that I'm able to get enough sleep. I did a lot of journaling and actually poetry writing. I was very careful not to watch too much news. 
And I also found a lot of comfort in giving my patients the support and kindness that they need during this very tumultuous last 18 months. Again, we talk about from the pandemic to social injustice and even the natural disasters that have been going on. And I really have found a lot of meaning in my chief wellness job. It's a complicated time. And to Dr. Zucker's point, we've been working on burnout for years. And this really shifted um, some of our program needs into the realm of mental health. So all of these things helped me move through these times of focused and steady. And I think I did it with some amount of grace, (laughs) as much as one can get through these times. So yeah, that's what I did. That's wonderful. And good tools and advice for all those that are listening. Dr. Zucker, how about you? What do you do to keep life in balance? Do I keep life in balance? I think that's the first question. (laughs) um, So, I mean, I've always been an exerciser, so that's been key for me. I am 100% a Peloton addict, and I will fully admit that, and I'm very grateful for it. To me, it's a combination of exercise, but also therapy, and so that's been huge. So, just moving and getting out that extra that we all sort of carry every day has been really key and having that consistency. I definitely notice the days that I don't move at all. I really feel it. The other thing that I've been, I think, a little bit more sort of aware of was really just the practice of gratitude. You know, we've talked about gratitude for years, and I think I've always been grateful, but I think doing it a little bit more formally And recognizing the little things. I think when we talk about the practice of gratitude, we think we have to be thankful for some major event or success that we've had. But just even being grateful that I have a bed to sleep in or that I have a roof over my head or that I still have a job. Those are the little things in life that I think are just so important to recognize. And I think we took for granted a lot of that before COVID. The other thing which is very new to me is really setting those work boundaries. So I'm a little bit of a work addict and a little bit is putting it very lightly. Um, I'm very much a work addict, but, and so it was just normal for me. It didn't bother me at all to work after hours on weekends. You know, I'd check my emails on vacations and it wasn't so much of a thing, but I started to notice that I was really burning out. And so I had to make a conscious effort to put down my phone on the weekends. Last week, actually, I was on vacation with my family and I did something I've never done before, which is I left my work phone in the hotel room and (laughs) it was just incredibly freeing to not have it buzzing in my back pocket all day long, even if I wasn't looking at it, just having that awareness and nothing fell apart. The world didn't catch on fire. Everything was fine. I'm still behind on my emails now, but that's okay. It was 100% worth it to have that peace of mind of not worrying about work and being able to 100% focus on my family and on our time together. So I would encourage everybody to turn off the phone, shut down the computer, leave it where you can't get to it because it's too easy to just pull it back out of your pocket and look at it. That's great advice. Something that I know we all struggle because we're so connected all of the time, but that true disconnecting can be joyful, unbinding, and really create a sense of freedom that I think everybody should experience and regularly practice. Dr. Mason, anything to add? 
Sure, I think Dawn and Ashley have done a great job of summarizing some of the things I've done in terms of physical health and really a practice of gratitude. So my wife and I are so privileged to be able to work for Permanente Medical Group. We're both physicians. So we really felt grateful, I should say, about staying employed. And we did something sort of scary. We knew a family, family of, of six, a husband, wife, and four kids that were living in another state and they were living in a one-bedroom apartment. And so we took advantage of sort of the low interest rates and we bought a small house and we moved them into it. And it was scary to make that kind of a financial move, but it has been the joy of the year. I mean, it makes me happy every day to see those kids in a house rather than in a one-bedroom apartment. And so it's sort of working out for now. I can't retire quite yet, but (laughs) that has been so uh, renewing for my wife and myself and been a joy. Wow. Life-changing for you and your wife and life-changing for that family. No doubt about it. This has been such a privilege. You each have such extraordinary insight and extraordinarily difficult roles during this time. I want to share my sincere gratitude with all of you for the heroic work that you do. And I remember, I think it was probably from February until after the July 4th weekend in 2020 that I myself didn't take a day off, not a Saturday, not a Sunday, not anything, and worked these insane hours trying to triple bed capacity and secure PPE and even work with our pulmonologists in our ethicists on crisis care standards and the most complicated things that you can imagine. I remember a Sunday taking a walk and it was one of the first times in daylight and the sun was going down and on four corners of the street, people started coming out and we were social distancing then and nobody could get within six feet of each other. And they came out with instruments and I kind of looked around like, what's going on? And then I realized that this was the nightly ritual of gratitude towards physicians and nurses and all clinical providers. And I think society recognizes what we've lived through and we're all living through. And they've recognized the critical role of doctors and all care providers. And they've recognized that, in fact, they are heroes. And each of you are those heroes that take care of the heroes that are facing the front line. And I want to thank you for what you do. I know that we've got a long road ahead, but I'm so appreciative for the work, for the intellect, for the care that you each demonstrate every single day on behalf of all of the care providers of Kaiser Permanente and quite frankly of healthcare as a whole, because many learn from programs that we put in place here. So God bless each of you for the work that you do and know how much we appreciate all that you do. Thanks, Chris. Thank you so much, Chris. That's our show for today. My thanks to our guest and to you for listening. Be sure to catch up with other episodes of our podcast by visiting Permanente.org or by subscribing on iTunes or SoundCloud. We'll see you next time.
The opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the views of Kaiser Permanente, the Permanente Medical Groups, or the Permanente Federation.